Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Hey everyone, welcome to the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis of MLBPipeline.com as always. And guys, uh, as we get into the podcast a little bit later, we're going to talk about some of the great duos around minor league baseball. You guys can chip in on some of your favorites. We'll also hear from one of those duos within the podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about the draft as the MLB Pipeline top 100 prospects for the draft coming up in June comes out early, later this month. But first, let's start with a couple of prospects that are doing well at the major league level. And we'll start with Nomar Mazara. Here's a guy who got the call because of injury. Shinsu Chu goes down with the Texas Rangers. They call up Mazara. And we've seen this so much, the, the great debut by a prospect. And Mazara goes three for four hits a home run in his debut. I guess the question is, when a guy gets called up to replace somebody for an injured player, is he ready yet? And, and Jonathan, I will start with you. Is Mazzara ready to, for significant time at the big league level? I, I, think, I think he is. Um, you know, even though he's still only 20 years old, uh, you know, he's come, I think, so far so quickly in terms of his approach at the plate that I – I think he'd be just fine if he needed to play the rest of the year uh, in the outfield for the Rangers. I mean, it doesn't mean he won't have bumps along the way. The league will adjust to, to him. But uh, you know, he really knows how to hit. This isn't a, an all-or-nothing kind of guy. Uh, you know, this isn't even, you say, Joey Gallo a year ago who has been the first to admit that he wasn't really ready for, for the big leagues making the jump from double-A with all that swing and miss to his game. Um, so... I, uh, I think he'll be just fine. And, you know, little known fact that Shinsu Chu, uh, when translated from Korean, translates to Wally Pip. <laughs> Is that a, there's a prediction. So you think that he could legitimately keep the job. What does he need to do? Or I guess, Jim, I'll ask you, what, what's Mazzara's biggest strength that he can bring to the Rangers? Oh, well, I think his power is his biggest strength, but he's a well-rounded player. And, you know, I was I was tasked on uh, Sunday morning when news came that Chu was going on the disabled list and Mazzara was coming up. You had to say, you know, what, what to expect from Mazzara. I did not say three for four with a home run in his debut, but taking a, a longer view, I said I, I think he can approximate Chu's offensive production and provide better defense in right field. She's not a very good defender, but, I mean, Mazzara's a guy who – you famously signed for $4.95 million, and that kind of raised some eyebrows. A lot of teams thought that, yeah, there was some power potential, but there was a lot of swing and miss. But 
he went from a leg kick to a toe tap, and he learned the strike zone, and now he's a, a solid all-around hitter. I mean, I, I think you could be talking in his prime, a guy who hits 280 with 25-plus homers a year, and he's got a strong arm in right field. Um, you know, I don't really think there's a ton you, you point to and say that he needs to work on. I mean, he does not have a ton of AAA experience. He played 20 games there last year, three this year. So in a perfect world, you could give him more playing time. But I thought it was kind of interesting that the Rangers went out and signed Ian Desmond when they had Mazzara, you know, very close to ready, and Lewis Brinson not too far away either. And, you know, I'll be curious if, you know, I don't think Mazzara is going to continue hitting 375 with a homer every four games. But I, like I said, I think he can approximate Chu's production. And if he does that, when Chu's ready to come back in four to six weeks, I think you may see, you know, it's possible Delano DeShields could lose playing time or if Ian Desmond, who's been in a bad slump to start the season, doesn't start hitting more. Uh, you know, I don't think Nomar Mazzara is necessarily going back to the minors four to six weeks from now when Shinsu Chu's ready again. It seems like Desmond was maybe just an insurance policy, right? I mean, this is a Rangers team that, that plans to contend this year and maybe couldn't afford to throw a prospect into the mix and have them not perform well. So they had to go get somebody that, that they thought they knew what they were getting, and they get Ian Desmond. But it's a good point. When you get one of those prospects up there and suddenly they're hitting, then what do you do and, and what becomes the equation? But maybe it's one of those rotational situations. Uh, another guy that, that's been hitting since opening day, or I shouldn't even say opening day, since spring training, guys, has been Tyler White. He wins the first base job out of spring training with the Astros, and he just hasn't stopped hitting. Uh, he was the American League Player of the Week, week one, um, tandem in tandem with Trevor Story in the National League. It's the first time that two rookies have won Player of the Week in the opening week of the season, so a little trivia for you. But Tyler White, Right now, as we hit into, head into action on Thursday, 483, three, double, uh, 483, three homers, three doubles. Um, even now that the season has started, Jonathan, he's not overwhelmed at all. He looks very comfortable. I think he's going to hit 480. <laughs> I really do. No. Um, listen, this is a guy who, you know, there are always guys like this who maybe are a little under the radar in terms of prospect rankings. Uh, because maybe they're limited in terms of their projection or, their pro or where they profile, but they always hit. Uh, you know, and I know Jim's, you know, this is the Astros are, are Jim's list. And, uh, you know, Tyler White is one of these guys who, uh, you know, 33rd round pick and has just hit his way on, onto the radar screen and, and, and into the big leagues. And I don't think, you know, just like you would predict that Nomar Mazzara would do what he did in his debut. No one's going to predict that Tyler White or Trevor Story, for that matter, is going to have this kind of opening nine games uh, you know, in the big leagues uh, this year. But the fact that he's come out and swung the bat well, I don't think that's really all that surprising. I mean, he's had to prove himself every step of the way, and he just seems to have the same approach uh, all the time. Uh, and I think that will, will serve him well. You know, once he hits that cool-off stage, uh, which, you know, is pretty much anything given how he started. Uh, you know, so I, I, I think that he'll continue to, to, to hit, you know, not at this torrid pace, but uh, this is a guy who I think could, you know, surprisingly put up some, some good run production numbers over the course of the year. Jim, anything to add to that? 
Yeah, you know, I, I don't think this is a fluke. I mean, he's not going to be the best player in the American League this season as a rookie, but he's, he's hit, you, know, you said back to spring training, I mean, he's hit throughout his minor league career and going back to college. I mean, it's kind of interesting. I mean, he's kind of, you know, you have to give Houston's analytics department a lot of credit for Tyler White because they noticed him as a senior at Western Carolina. They, they, they love the fact that he had a 43 extra base hit to 26 strikeout ratio, and they, they sent the area scout out, Tim Bittner, to check him out. And Tim Bittner thought the hitting ability was real, so they signed him for $1,000 in the 33rd round. But, I mean, he's hit everywhere he's been in the minors. He was Dominican Winter League MVP, you know, probably the best all-around hitter in the Dominican this winter, and you know, came into spring training. You know, I think they they thought he had a chance to compete for the job. I don't think people necessarily thought he was going to win it, but I I don't think this is a fluke. I I'm not sure he's this kind of power guy. He's more of a a line drive guy. You know, he's actually it surprises me he struck out eight times in his first nine games because that's not him either. He's usually a little bit better contact than that. We'll we'll forgive him as long as he keeps putting up the 14-26 ops, but. You know, I do think this is a guy who can hit for a high average with, with 15 homers per year. He's he's not much of a defensive player, and as Jonathan pointed out, you know, the reason some of these guys don't rank high, I mean, you would give him one-plus tool coming into the year, which would have been the bat, and everything else was kind of fringy or below. You know, this guy could be their long-term DH of the future. Uh, you know, again, I'm not going to go ahead and, and, and put him in the Hall of Fame quite yet after nine games, but the hitting ability is real. And if he, you know, continues to hit, you know, maybe if he exceeds the power expectation, this guy could find a home at DH, you know, for the Astros. You know, he's, you know, they don't have, it's not a team with a lot of high on base guys, and he might be one of them. So it's, it's a nice addition for a team that's hoping to contend this year. Okay, so you know, I want to, I actually wanted to, to ask Jimmy, I know one guy doesn't change the entire uh, sort of way people look at things, but when a guy like this has success, uh, and let's say prolonged and continues to go, is there more likelihood that teams will look at a Tyler White type of player maybe a little bit earlier than they would have previously? Can scouts go to their scouting directors and say, well, this is a Tyler White kind of guy in terms of the way he swings the bat, and so maybe uh, his success could lead to more success for those guys who, who, who put up you know, the, the kind of numbers that the analytics departments like at the college level, and, and maybe they get bumped up uh, even if it's just a few rounds in future drafts? Um. Maybe. I mean, I think part of the reason, I mean, I don't know where the Astros would have taken him had there been more interest, but my understanding is there were basically two guys who went to scout Tyler White. So it was also a case where, where Tim Bittner not only reported they liked to swing, but also reported, look, you know, nobody else is on this guy. We don't have to take him high. I mean, I, I think, you know, I think you and I have talked about this a number of times, Jonathan. I mean, the whole stats versus scouts debate, I think, is kind of overblown. It's not like this war. And I think they do exist hand in hand. You know, I you know, I think what worked out nicely for the Astros there too was that the area scout did go check him out and said, "Hey, there's more to this guy than just the numbers. It's a pretty good swing, and he barrels a lot of balls, and and you know, and I like the kid. But you know, I think maybe it puts a little bit more credence as you see guys like that. I mean, shoot, you and I right now are calling, you know, I don't know, 30 or 40 scouts between us working on the top 100. You know, before we start talking to directors and. I've had a number of guys I've talked to talk about numbers guys at their front office had them go see. Um, you know, and there's, you know, I mean, I think depending on the scouts, some scouts kind of accept that as part of the job, and sometimes they're interested, hey, who am I going to find? And, and sometimes you get some uh, <laughs> you get some scouts who are like, man, I don't think this guy's much of a player and I have to go see him. But, you know, I think it makes it 
a little bit more accepting. And but, I mean, that said, there's also a lot of guys who put up big numbers, and you go check them out, and, and they aren't as good as Tyler White. But, you know, the you know Jeff Lunau and, and his front office had a knack for doing this when he was running the scouting department in St. Louis. I mean, they did the same thing with, you know, Adams at first base, um, and they seem to have a knack for doing this. Last week, guys, we talked about some of the best rosters as far as the minor league goes, and we're going to focus that in a little bit onto uh, just duos, two players. And, and Jonathan, you're going to have more on this coming out on the site uh, later in the week. But we're, we're talking basically duos within the top 100 prospects, and I want to get some of your favorites from each of you. But right now, Jonathan Mayo is actually in Ohio, in Akron, Ohio, home of I now know the Rubber Ducks because back in my Eastern League days, they were the Akron Arrows. But, Jonathan, you just kind of gave me the, the new information that, that they became the Rubber Ducks uh, a couple of years ago. And, and why exactly are they the Rubber Ducks? We'll start there, and then we'll move on to their, uh, their duo, and we'll take it from there. But why the Rubber Ducks? Well, it's good that you didn't bury the lead because that is uh, – and it's like it's an angry duck, too. If you look at the logo, it's not, a, uh, it's not an Ernie Rubber Duck. Uh, so uh, the, the decision to change the name um, really stemmed from, I think, a desire to sort of give a nod to uh, the past of the city of Akron, uh, which at one point, when you know, back in the height of the Rust Belt days, was the the rubber manufacturing capital of the world. Uh, so that's the the rubber, and I don't remember the exact. Uh, you know, if they had a, some sort of naming contest or, or what, but they ended up with rubber ducks. And it's, you know, so people know it's one word, R&D capital, one of those deals. So um, that is the, the, the rubber ducks. Uh, but I am obviously not here only to uh, talk about the, the, the nickname, although, you know, there's some good minor league nicknames. We could do a whole podcast on minor we, league We nickname, could, but, absolutely. Uh, one of the better duos from, from that story that I'm working on uh, runs the outfield here uh, in Akron, and that's Bradley Zimmer and Clint Frazier. It's an Indians affiliate, double-A uh, Eastern League, as you pointed out, Tim. And uh, Clint Frazier was the Indians' first-round pick in 2013. Bradley Zimmer, uh, their first-round pick in 2014. Frazier from high school, Zimmer from college. And they played together in the Carolina League last year for the first half of the year, uh, and then some until Zimmer got promoted up to double-A. Now they're both here, um, and uh, they, they're, they're a dynamic duo for, for certain. Uh, they both uh, have very good offensive profiles, some power-speed combination. Um, Zimmer stole 44 bases a year ago. Frazier had a tremendous second half in the Carolina League and then a really good fall league, a ton of bat speed. Um, and Zimmer's been playing center, and, uh, and Frazier has shifted over to right. Uh, while they're here together, uh, and you know we'll have to see whether or not Zimmer is a center field at the big league level long term. I think the Indians believe he is. Um, I think he'd be fine there, uh, but it, it may be that they end up, you know, bookends to well, Michael Brantley in center or however they're going to end up, you know, whatever that big league outfield is going to look like in, in about a year's time. Ironically, the the game that I came to to see Michael Brantley is rehabbing here, so I'm not exactly sure what outfield configuration I'm going to to see uh, uh, in the game as we speak here pregame. But uh, uh, I am excited to, to talk to uh, Zimmer and uh, Zimmer and Frazier, and uh, we'll hear from them a little bit later in the podcast. 
Yeah, Zimmer and Fraser are actually right next to each other, which I think is, is kind of neat in the top 100, 25, 26. I don't know if, <laughs> if one of them, if there's, any, uh, if there's any bragging rights there between them, or I guess not 25, 26 anymore, but right next to each other. Um, that's kind of fun, too, for teammates. Uh, Jim, do you have a favorite duo around minor league baseball as far as top 100 guys? I do. I mean, I, you know, it, it kind of ties in. I, when when I, we were talking about, or I, I did a story a week ago on the top uh, most talented minor league teams, and, you know, I just look at that Salem team. I rank number one, and they've got Yohan Moncada at second base, who, you know, continues to live up to the Robinson Cano with more speed comparisons, and I think he's number six on the top 100 prospects, uh, if I remember correctly. And, and then 10 spots below him is, is Rafael Devers at third base, who, is one of the very best. Uh, actually, they both moved up a spot, I guess, since the season starts. They're 5-15, and 15, and Devers is one of the, the best power hitters in the entire minors and also an accomplished hitter and I think a better defender than people gave him credit for. And That team's so loaded. I think if you took either one of them and paired them with Andrew Benintendi, who was the number 7 overall pick in last year's draft and is also on Salem and is a you know four, has a chance to have four-plus tools as a center fielder, if you took one of those guys and teamed them with Ben and Tenney, that still might be my favorite tandem. Yeah, so if one of those guys eventually uh, makes the move up a level before the others, you'll still have a duo, which is nice. Um, Jonathan, uh, how about another grouping that, that you like beyond Zimmer and Frazier? Yeah, I'm going to kind of look at guys who are not in the sort of the, the, the top five, and I'm going to go down a little bit to Reds AAA, Louisville. You've got Jesse Winker and Cody Reed, and Winker has long been one of my favorite offensive players uh, in, in the minors uh, just because he can really, really hit. Uh, started slowly last year, uh, which unfortunately kept him potentially from attending the Futures game, much to, to our chagrin because he's a tremendous personality, great talker. It would have been fun to have him in his you know, future home ballpark. Uh, but then kind of got back to, to what he normally does, which is hit, get on base, uh, a lot of doubles. He's going, you know, there's going to be some power. Um, we'll see how much he's, he is a left field, but he can just really, really hit. This is a guy that uh, I think could be a, a you know, batting title contender kind of guy when all said and done. And then Cody Reed is a lefty who they got in the Cueto trade last year. Uh, really started to figure some things out last year, even before the trade, and then tremendous big league camp. Almost made the Reds rotation. Uh, you know, even though he. Uh, spent what, half the year in Double A last year, so he's in Triple A now, waiting for for that call. And he, he, you know, sort of one of, the, one of these young, projectable lefties, and it's all sort of come together. And he's got really good stuff. He's not like a touch and feel guy. I mean, he misses bats, uh, but he throws strikes at the same time. And that's why his profile is raised so high. And uh, I kind of like them because I think you're going to see both of them uh, in the uh, in the big leagues at some point in time as the Reds continue there major rebuilding effort. Yeah, those guys moving up quickly within that organization because there, there's plenty of holes to fill for sure. How about one more from you, Jim? I, I like the, the duo. The Astros have a, a Corpus Christi, double-A Corpus Christi, the Hooks. We're talking about interesting minor league nicknames. Uh, Alex Bregman, the shortstop, their first-round pick last year, and Francis Martez, who they kind of stole from the Marlins in the Colin Moran-Jared Cozart trade a couple of years ago. Um, I think both those guys... We don't underrate them. We, we've got them both pretty high on the top 100 right now. Martez is number 39, and 
Alex Bregman is number 20. But I, I think fans are maybe a little light on how good these guys are. It's, I get a lot of Twitter questions worrying about Alex Bregman's future because Carlos Craze is short. But Alex Bregman has a really good bat, and I think he's got average power. He can play a number of places on the field, even if he's not going to play at shortstop because of Correa. And then Martez is a guy who, you know, great pro scouting by the Astros. This was a guy who had not pitched a whole lot when they got him in mid-2014. From the Marlins in that trade, he was in rookie ball. Thirteen months after that trade, he's in double A as a teenager. He's the best pitching prospect in the organization. His stuff took a huge jump forward, uh, you know, 93-96 with the fastball, very good curveball, uh, you know, throwing strikes, changeups coming along. I, I, don't think, I don't think we'll see Bregman this year, although I think if they wanted to have him in the big league by the end of the year, that would be possible. You know, but if the Astros have pitching problems and Martez continues to develop like he did last year, I could see Martez in the big leagues by the end of the year. Both those guys are going to move very, very quickly. And like I said, I think fans are a little, little, uh, you know, underrating on uh, underrating both of them. Those guys are both very good, and and I I think they're going to continue to raise their profile this year. All right. Well, we started the conversation with the rubber ducks out there in, in Akron, which where Jonathan is as we record this podcast, and that's what we've learned on the podcast today is the, the history of that name and rubber in Akron, something I knew nothing about until, until this podcast. But let's uh, go back to that thought, and let's hear from uh, Zimmer and Frazier. You kind of sum them up, uh, Jonathan, and what they bring to that double-A team in Akron, but I'd love to hear them talk about, about being teammates and roaming the outfield out there. So let's check in with Bradley Zimmer and Clint Frazier. I think it's exciting, you know, it's the beginning of the season. We got our home opener here and we finally get some warm weather. Um, so, I mean, great day for baseball and I think we're both really excited. Clint, were you, uh, were you, you know, just chomping at the bit? I know you're a guy who likes to get out there and play, so just uh, after a while, spring training gets a little old, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, I mean, some of the days get tedious, but for us to, you know, finally be able to break camp and come out here with the team and, you know, mess with the group. You know, just play here and play competitive baseball is a, is a good feeling for all of us. I think we definitely push each other on a daily basis, which is good. I think for our careers moving forward, hopefully we'll be playing together for a long time. So I think it's good kind of meshing together, moving up to the minors, and kind of building that chemistry from A ball up until the big leagues. You know, Bradley and I kind of hit it off right away. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm able to pick his brain and, you know, utilize the tools that he has and, you know, try to take him into the game. And with him being older, it's easier for me to look to him for some. Uh, you know, pointers because he's been here a little bit longer, more experienced, and you know, I'm, I'm just glad to be sitting here with him. I mean, he's an impact player, you know, his ability to impact the game in a lot of ways, and you know, one thing I've tried to emulate is, you know, he gets on base, he goes right away. Uh, you know, that's something that I want to build up the confidence and just have the ability to go back out there and, and impact the game in the ways that he does. There's things that, uh, you know, we both, we have similar things in common. Uh, you know, I feel like we're both a pretty similar player. Uh, so I think just getting to watch each other, you know, we we'll, we'll play side by side so we can bounce ideas off each other, but just getting to watch each other and, and for him, you know, getting to watch him hit, I think that's definitely, you know, beneficial for me, just seeing how he, you know, his approach at the play and I think, you know, just every part of the game really can, can you know, bounce ideas off each other. I'm not coming out here trying to, you know, one-up Bradley in any way. I mean, there's, there's more guys in the field, just not just Bradley, so I mean, as a whole, I mean, I'm happy when I get a hit, I'm happy when he gets a hit, I'm happy when, uh, you know, Nelly gets a hit. I mean, it, to me, everyone I'm feeding off, you know, there's, I think, hitting is contagious. And when someone's hitting, I want to hit just as bad. I think regardless of who's hitting in front or behind you, hitting's contagious. And, you know, you see a guy 
you know, have you get on base and immediately, you know, you want to you want to bang one in the gap and, and drive them in. Um, so I think you know, having him ahead of me um, is definitely you know, helpful for me because he gets on base a lot. I'm able to drive them in. All right. So which one of you guys gets up there first? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think we just we'll come out here and play every single day, and you know. Uh, you know, not put one foot ahead of the, uh, ahead of the other one, you know, just continue to my hand, just play. All right, great stuff from Zimmer and Frazier, a couple former first-round picks moving their way up through the Indian system. Uh, guys, let's shift gears to to this year's draft coming up in June, and, and we talked a little bit about the top 100 draft prospects in the works by you guys. I know you're on the phones talking to scouts and all that stuff. Um, that'll be unveiled on April 27th on MLBPipeline.com, and, and we actually have some news, so let's start with that. Um, Jim, I don't know if you want to explain it, but Jason yeah. Groom, who's way up at the top of draft boards, um, not going to be able to pitch this spring for his high school team. Let's just start with why. Okay, it's stupid is why, is the short version. The long <laughs> version, and, and Jason Groom, number one on the MLB Pipeline draft top 50 preseason list, I think I'll speak for both me and Johnson. I think he's probably going to be number one when we do the top 100. I don't see any reason that would change. Coming off a 19 strikeout, no hitter on Monday. And so, I mean, the high school transfer, all high schools you know, have some kind of transfer rules because the transfers can get kind of goofy with people just deciding they want to play for one school versus another. So in New Jersey, apparently, the high school rule says that if you transfer from one high school to another, you have to provide evidence that you've a legitimate change of residence. Otherwise, if there's no legitimate change of residence, you can't participate for 30 calendar days or half of the maximum number of games allowed in that sport under the New Jersey high school rules. And I understand why you have that rule in place because you don't want just somebody deciding, hey, I'm going to go to a different high school because I like that team better or whatever. But this rule is asinine that they're applying it to Jason Groom. Uh, I think I can say asinine on the Pi- Pipeline podcast. Uh, sure. Jason Groom pitched at Barnegat High School as a sophomore. He, as a junior, went to IMG Academy, which is in Florida. It's not in New Jersey. He did not just up and switch his school. He went to IMG Academy, where Brady Aiken went as the postgraduate program, where Logan Allen and a number of draft picks have gone. And then he decided to come home for his senior year. So all he did is, is A, he returned to the last high school he played at in the entire state of New Jersey, and B, the high school in whose district he lives, and it's ridiculous that he's getting punished for this, I think. I, I just think this is a dumb application. Yes, it's the letter of the law, but there should be something in there about schools within the state. And this is just ridiculous. And then before Johnson chimes in, I'll just say I don't think this affects him in the draft at all. Yes, it stinks if you're a team and you want to go see him pitch, but Jason Groom has been so good a couple times he's pitched this year. He's been so good every time he pitched last summer. Everybody's seen him well, and it's not like he's not going to pitch. I, I, I believe my interpretation of the rule is he could be back before the end of the season. You know, he, he has to miss half the schedule. So he'll continue to throw and do bullpen workouts, and teams will come see those, and they'll see him at the end of the year. But what a dumb rule. I mean, well, I'll, I'll just go ahead and call out the New Jersey State Interscholastic Athletic Association. You guys are a bunch of idiots. This is not what the rule is designed to do. And instead of creating interest in your high school athletic program, you're now sidelining the best pitcher in the country for no good reason. So congratulations, NJSIAA, for being totally asinine in your application of this rule. Yeah, it's a situation where the rule is fine, but you need to have some sort of a board or a review committee 
that looks at every individual instance and can make a decision and has the guts to say, you know what, this is totally fine what this kid did. You need hey, that, you according need to that a statement, my dogs are getting angry about it now, but <laughs> according to a statement released by the, the, the High School Athletic Association, Neither rule, you can't even appeal this. And again, yeah. all you would, well, what the rule should be is it should be from transferring from one secondary school to another within the state of New Jersey. Because it's just dumb to me that you like he he goes to Florida, like to pitch at the IMG Academy, but he returns home and he's ineligible. Even though it's not like he's trying to play for a different high school that he pitched for before or a high school. He I mean, he lives in Barnegat. He's going to his local high school. He's not doing anything untoward or, or trying to take advantage of anything. He just came home, and New Jersey say, no, 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 because your parents didn't move. You can't come home. You know, I guess if they moved across the street, maybe he could have. But all he did was return home, and he's got to miss half the season. Jim, you gotta you got to bring us back. you got to calm everything down. Uh, sorry, Jonathan, you got to calm everything down here a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Don't ask me to calm um, you down. <laughs> Jim, tell me how you, tell us how you really feel. My goodness. I, you know, there are a couple things. One, I think, you know, any of these rules, there, there should be some room for interpretation. Exactly. I mean, these are... These are young kids. Um, yeah, granted, he's a young kid who's you know in line to change his life forever with the amount of money he's likely to get to get on draft day. Uh, and I I agree with Jim overall, you know, that I don't think it's going to hurt his draft status too much. Um, if you're a team picking in the top two or three, you know, and taking a high school pitcher that high is a is a bit of a risk. I'm sure you would prefer to see him in game action, even if the level of competition there isn't so great. And because the weather there, he hasn't been out there for for that long. He's thrown twice. Um, So that'll be a little frustrating, but I don't think that'll hurt him overall too much uh, on draft day. And I guess you could make the argument that it eliminates any risk of injury or not throwing well or or anything like that in front of a lot of people. Um, The the thing that really kind of strikes me is how did – how was this not something that anybody thought of previously at Barnegat or, uh, or, or Groom's uh, agent? Um, now, maybe they thought that what they were doing didn't apply. You know, there was no change of residence. His parents never moved. He did. Um, you know, so he always had the same residence. He just, you know, uh, you know as Jim detailed, went down to Florida for IMG. So uh, maybe they just figured it wouldn't apply in any way, shape, or form. Um, you know, it, th- to me, this smacks of a, a rival high school coach saying, you know, uh, well, if we want to have any chance of winning our, our league or, or whatever, uh, we need to figure out a way to not have Jason Groom around. Uh, you know, the, the Barnegat has to forfeit the the, the games he's already pitched in, including his 19 strikeout no hitter in his last uh, his last start, so that's uh, I think two two losses right there. Uh, and then you know then he won't be able to pitch for until I guess what the middle of May. Uh, you know, and I don't know what their calendar looks like. Obviously, it's backloaded because how bad the weather is in the Northeast. But uh, yeah, I uh, I may not be as vehement as Jim, but the the whole thing is, is kind of ridiculous. All right, so it's definitely something to keep an eye on, and hopefully he does get back to, uh, to pitch late in the season. And, and Jim's going to be rooting for them to win the state title. That is for sure. That is definitely the case. All right, let's move on to, to more of this draft, though. Overall, guys, um, as you check in on, on the players and the overall draft as compared to, to maybe recent years or, or historically, 
How is this this draft shaking up? Jim, I'll go back to you to start things off. I will be less outraged now. But um, <laughs> the, the, the top of the draft, it's just kind of an odd year. I mean, I don't think it's a bad draft. I just think it's another one of these so-so drafts. It's, it's not like last year where you had every college pitcher seemingly getting hurt, you know, one a weekend, another guy bit the dust. But usually with the guys that go at the top of the draft, you know, you obviously have bad teams picking at the top. You usually you see one of two things go at the top of the draft, a lot of college pitchers and a lot of up-the-middle position players. And you just don't have those guys this year. It's The vast majority of the college pitchers have gone backward. Um, you know, the guys we like the most at the top of the, the, top of the year were A.J. Puck of Florida has been inconsistent. Alec Hansen of Oklahoma has been brutal, and he's pitching like one inning a midweek relief a week now. Um, there isn't really a guy who's jumped up towards the top of the draft as a college pitcher. And then the up-the-middle players, I mean, coming into this year, most of your, your best position players were, were corner outfielders or corner infielders, and I still think that's the case. And, you know, I don't. the, the draft is not going to go exactly according to the way we line up the MLB pipeline draft list. You know, there, there's signability concerns. You know, there, there's monkeying with bonus pools, but... Yeah, I don't know how Jonathan feels, but in my mind, if I was lining up the top five picks right now, or top five talents, one and two would be high school pitchers, you know, Jason Groom and Riley Pint, and three, four, and five would be college position players, you know, Louisville's Corey Ray, who a lot of guys think is going to be more of a corner outfielder, hasn't really played much center at Louisville, and then Tennessee's third baseman, Nick Senzel, and, and Mercer current center fielder but future right fielder Kyle Lewis, and then the next guy might be the high school hitter Blake Rutherford, who's probably more of a right fielder down the road too. So it's it's just a weird year in that you just don't have the college pitchers and the up-the-middle guys that people love to take high. I, I don't see any of those guys really worthy of going in the top three or four picks. Jonathan, Jim yeah, called it odd. Go ahead. Do you have a different word to describe the top of the draft? I, I, will, I will call it stinky. Okay. Maybe that's a little too harsh. I'm, I'm channeling Jim's uh, vehemence from, from earlier. Now it's it's strange in that you know it's rare that you have to have the the, the top guys are two high school pitchers, um, and uh, you know a right a high school right-hander has never been taken with the number one overall pick, uh, and all talk so far anyway, has been that the Phillies would prefer not to take a high school arm at one one. So then, well, where do you go? I think they probably were hoping that Florida lefty A.J. Puck would kind of separate himself, and he has not done that. Um, he's still going to go pretty good because he's a big lefty with, with plus raw stuff, but you're not going to roll the dice on a guy who's been so inconsistent. Um, so that's what, I think that's where it's strange. It's just it's a, not a great year. When, you know, where I come to the stinky part is that it's not a good year to be picking up top just because there isn't that separation. Um, there, there aren't guys – you know, who really scream out to, be, you know, that many who are like, oh, these should be the top ten picks. And I think if, if you're a team that doesn't have a first-round pick and you're picking like in the 30s or 40s, uh, you know, you're pretty happy that this is the year that you're doing that because uh, I, I think there is some depth. Uh, and actually, I think high school pitching is the strength of this class. And so there will be some really interesting arms that might mark, make more sense to take uh, in the 30s, say, than, uh, you know, than guys that you – want to think about that at the very top. 
Well, I'm going to pose a question to you now, Jonathan, based on what you just said or, or playing off what you just said. If you were picking 1-1 and you're the Phillies, who would you take 1-1? And if you were determined not to take a high school pitcher, who would your pick be in that case? So it's a, a two-part question for you. Two-part question. Um, I think I would take Groom 1-1. Um, you know, the suspension notwithstanding. I don't think that impacts him in terms of what he potentially could be. I, I think I would take that chance. Um, easy for me to say I'm not writing that check. And I'm not trying to rebuild a, a franchise that uh, is clearly struggling and rebuilding. Um, but uh, that, he's the guy to me I think has shown to be the, the best player in this draft class. Um, so I, I think that's who I would take. Now, if I wasn't going to take a high school pitcher, I honestly don't know who, who I, I would take. I was talking to the scouting director a little bit earlier who said he would take Senzel if I, if I was going to take a, 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 a high school arm. Just, uh, and this is a guy who was high on Senzel. Uh, but uh, I, I honestly don't, I don't know what I would do if I weren't going to take room. Jim, you mentioned uh, players kind of backing up a little bit with their performances this spring. Is there anybody that's kind of skyrocketing up from when the top 50 came out? Um, I can't remember. Well, I mean, there's guys who are jumping up the list who weren't on it. I mean, yeah. I think I've got, you know, Jonathan mentioned high school pitchers, and, you know, Braxton Garrett, who you guys saw very good, I think, at the NHSI, was on mm -hmm. the list. He's going to go pretty good, but three guys who weren't even on the preseason top 50, and I think, you know, I think this is going to be the year of the high school pitcher, and it's interesting because you have teams skittish not just at the top of the draft, but throughout the first round of taking high school pitchers, so there could be some really good values. But, I mean, just off the top of my head, I can think of three pitchers who weren't on the preseason top 50 who all could go, uh, you know, are all going to be first-rounders if the draft were today. I think Forrest Whitley, high school pitcher from Texas, has lost some weight. He's He's in you know, tremendous shape. He's been dominant when he's been on the mound at Alamo Heights in Texas. He's a mid-first rounder. I think uh, you know, everybody talks, and rightfully so, about Riley Pint in Kansas. But there's another pitcher uh, from Shawnee Mission East, Joey Wentz, the guy who didn't pitch on the showcase circuit at all last summer. Um, he's going to be probably a mid-first round pick. And then another kid in Texas who... I saw at the Under Armour game throw like 85-87 and thought, okay, that's a good athlete and it's a good body, but there's not much stuff. You know, guess he'll go to Texas for three years, and I'll worry about him in 2019. But Kyle Muller from Jesuit College Prep, which I believe was also Josh Bell's uh, school where they came out of and got $5 million for the Pirates a few years ago. Kyle Muller, I think, is going somewhere in the second half of the first round. And there's so many high school guys, arms on the rise. I feel like I'm forgetting somebody, and I can't. You uh, I mean, Jonathan, you and I split up the country. You probably have some college, I mean, uh, high school arms in your half uh, yep. who are jumping into the first round, too. No, I certainly do. Uh, out in California, uh, Matt Manning is a guy that a lot of people are paying attention to. Uh, a little bit later start to his year because he's a basketball player. He's a really good athlete and is thrown very well. And uh, Jared Horn uh, is another guy who uh, uh, is a high school quarterback, so another guy who's a premium athlete, split his focus, uh, you know, uh, you know multi-sports, and uh, has really thrown well uh, this spring fairly consistently, which is, you know, what often happens with high school pitching is that uh, one game they could be great, next game they don't have to feel for their secondary stuff, uh, command eludes them, 
Uh, their velocity spikes one start and isn't there the next. So depending on when you see them, you may like them or not. Horn has been one guy uh, out west who pretty much right out of the gate has been very, very good, uh, really good fastball, uh, breaking ball combination, uh, and, and has been consistent with it. So he has been, been moving up. And both, both those guys could certainly move into uh, into first-round category. And then I'll throw in one high school bat in, in my neck of the woods, uh, in Pittsburgh area, Alex Turiloff, who who's a guy uh, last year and who played over the summer. Uh, Tim, we saw him uh, – uh, well, I'm sorry, I saw him in, uh, in Tournament of Stars. Uh, I keep wanting you to have been there for Tournament of Stars, Tim. <laughs> like, I think USA Baseball, and I think of you. Um, well, that's nice. But uh, Kirloff is a really good bat. A uh, chance to hit for power and average. Uh, I'll be played first, over, first base over the summer a lot, um, but he's actually a pretty good athlete. He plays center field for his high school team, also pitches. So I, I think he's got a chance to be a good corner outfielder when all is said and done. So, um, you know, he's another guy who's sort of sneaking, sneaking up boards uh, as the spring progresses and the weather turns warmer in, uh, southwestern, in southwestern Pennsylvania. And we still have a couple of months to go before draft day, so plenty of time for, for more guys to get going. Or some of those guys who have been disappointing to maybe right the ship as far, at the college level, it's going to be an interesting couple of months, and we will continue to talk about the draft as it approaches. That's going to do it for this edition of Pipeline Podcast with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. Join us again next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.